This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Everybody's talking about biotransformation dry hopping during fermentation for biotransformation and this brought it into question if, if this is something that people repeat all the time and there is academic research that does not stand behind that in fact shows the exact opposite well what's going on with glo- glycosides and what's going on with thiol this week on the show when word on the street doesn't agree with research what do brewers do they set up trials to see for themselves G'day, my name is Mari Cavana and I work for Dos Bingos Cerveza Independiente. Hello, my name is Leandro Miners. I am the head brewer at Placebo Brewing. This is my favorite type of TQ article. A couple of brewers want to better understand something, so they put together some trials, then type up the experiment and share the results with the brewing community. We need more TQ articles like this one. Tell us a little bit about your breweries before we get into this project. Where are they? What are they like? What type of beers do you make? That sort of thing. All right, I'll start with this then. Um, so our brewery, Dos Dingos, is a brewery that's located in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And uh, we brew um, Australian-style beers using Aussie hops um, due to our, well, linguia, both the two dingos, uh, we're both... Um, um, are Argentine Australian, so we had dual dual nationals, and we we came back from Australia to Argentina to um, bring uh, Aussie uh, flavors into this beer market. In my case, so uh, Placebo is a project that began in my head about a year and a half ago. After, uh, at the time I was living in France, I moved back to Argentina, where I'm originally from. And here, basically, started buying gear and everything, setting everything up. And we are doing the final touches to actually start brewing there. For now, we have our tap room open with beers. I've brewed both at Dos Dingos and at other friends' breweries. 
and the beers we we respect for friends and we buy so that's kind of like uh, where we're at and hopefully with this covid everything got a little bit pushed back but we, the idea was to start brewing mid-march or or beginning of april but things have changed here with with the pandemic we've talked about biotransformation on the show at least a couple of times back on episode 119 with Eric Abbott, also on episode 145 with Scott LaFontaine and Tom Shellhammer, probably some other times as well. Give us a quick rundown on recent research related to biotransformation and what we know about it so far. So basically, when when we started looking at all this, because we wanted to improve our, our beers, we started looking at biotransformation and, and we started doing, trying to go, read all the literature. I had read a lot of the papers by Shellhammer before. Some things caught our eyes. So we started doing, coming, going back to the roots and going forward. And basically, as you, most of, anybody can look it up, it's, you get the first paper by King in 2003, where he talks about biotransformation of monoterpenes. And that is something that is cited everywhere. So we took the time to really understand that in depth. And then we started looking at more of monoterpenes additions because we saw that people were saying contradictory things between experiences and between what was in the research. And for us, one of the papers that kind of like got kicked all this off, all this idea of doing this research was one of the papers in 2014 by Takoy, where they show basically that the content of beta citronellol generated by biotransformation is not really dependent of the time of the addition. So when we read this paper, we noticed this, we said, okay, this was before all the Naipai craze uh, and the New England IPA craze. And now we have this result and we look at this result and everybody's talking about biotransformation, dry hopping during fermentation for biotransformation. And this brought it into question. So we're like, okay, clearly there's more on this thread to pull. So we started reading and we said, okay, if, if this is something that people repeat all the time and there is academic research that does not stand behind that, in fact, shows the exact opposite, well, what's going on with glycosides and what's going on with thiols, which are the new wave in, in research? And we've seen a lot of research in thiols come up in the last couple of years in the beer industry. So we said, okay, let's try to look at what, what's happening with glycoside research. And for us, kind of like one of the, the best papers we found that really said, okay, this is something we want to try. We want to run some trials on was the paper from 2017 from Sharps and Sh in Shellhammer's lab, where they basically show that they catalog a lot of different yeasts and they say, okay, we have yeast with low beta-glucosidase activity and others with high activity. But when we run trials with, uh, with an artificial added in glycoside, what we get is that in order to really release that, in order to get a, a high efficiency, regardless of what type of yeast we use, we need an external enzyme. So we need an exogenous enzyme. So that got us saying, okay, Let's try to run some trials with this. And we started looking at which enzymes were available and found that most of them are basically designed for the wine industry. So we said, OK, if we're going to run a trial with this, what other things can we look at at the same time? And thiols was something that mainly Matthias was very 
very fond of basically because they're very very important in in australian hops so i don't know mati if you want to take this part yeah so how did you guys end up uh, deciding to collaborate together too were you guys kind of just talking about this this, these papers over a few beers or how did how did how did this all sort of come together that you decided to work together well that that's a great question um Basically, Lee and uh, Leandro and I um, both host a um, a science and tech, a brewing science and technique podcast in Spanish called Birotechnia. So it's it's we we get together, drink some beer once every ten days, and discuss uh, papers and uh, and research and and try to demystify uh, brewing for the Spanish speaking community. That's pretty because, cool. I, I wish I spoke Spanish or I'd listen to it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but that's the thing, right? There's so many podcasts and cool stuff in English that, that we can access. But uh, a lot of uh, the brewers here and in all uh, Latin American Spain uh, don't really know how to speak English or at least not in a technical level. And we have the our luckily our uh, background that we both lived overseas, Leanne in London and me in Australia. And um, and so we can listen and understand all this stuff, and uh, and well, also that that sort of brings up uh, our minds to research more and read the papers and and try to understand more. And so that's why we decided about a year ago to launch our podcast. Um, and yeah, as part of that project, as part of the Birotechnia project, uh, is that this uh, research was born. Very nice. All right. Well, we'll be sure to put a link to that show um, in the show notes too. So people who do uh, understand Spanish can listen to that one as well. Um, so uh, I guess um, you guys, obviously you took a few cues from the wine industry. Let's hear about that. All right. Yes. Um, so basically um, what, we, what we saw is that in the wine industry has been dealing, especially for the, from a tile point of view, uh, since 1995. So in 1995, it's, uh, the, there was a, a research piece by Darit uh, that identified the, the specific aroma of Sauvignon Blanc uh, that was coming from tiles, right? And even in 2007, uh, there was a uh, Swigers developed a GMO-modified, um, genetic-modified uh, yeast that was meant to free tiles as well from uh from grapes um so we know that the that the wine industry uh has been quite advanced in this research um ourselves even at in in dos dingos we recently opened a a brew pub in uruguay which we joined forces together with a with a winery um so basically we we decided to collaborate there and uh and join forces open a brew pub in another country and uh, by doing this, we were also accessing to quite a bit of uh, information and 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 talks about how to make wine and speaking with the winemakers there. And they use enzymes for thiols and for um, glucosides all the time, right? So that's when we started saying, "Hey, hold on! There's all this potential for freeing thiols and hydrolyzing glycosides, and we as brewers are." not using it right because as um like regarding that uh paper for uh regarding uh, about uh, from shell hammer in 2017 sharp and shell hammer uh, showing that you need a, an external or artificial 
um, uh, enzyme to to actually be able to free those glycosides. So we thought there's a a bit of a um, a potential here that that not many people are are um, uh, using. So why not uh, starting to to explore them? And because Aussie hops are known to to have such a a high uh, level of thiols, um, we decided to use it on on one of our beers, uh, our Australian IPA. All right, very good. T- tell us about the enzymes you ended up trialing. Which products did you use, and how do they work? Yeah, so so basically, when we started researching this, we said, okay, we want an enzyme for the thiol to free thiols, and another one to look at glycosides. We started looking for what was available in the Argentinian market. And we have an A and B supplier here. So we spoke to them and we said, okay, look, we're interested in doing this. I don't know if you guys have any experience doing it in beer. They said they had some people looking into it, but nothing too conclusive. And they very kindly offered to give us some samples of the, of the products because they were not on sale. One of them wasn't even on sale in Argentina officially. So basically after that, we set about trying to design the way to use the 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 enzymes because they're quite. All, you'll read at the you read the manufacturer's description and you read their recommended steps, and it applies to the wine world. So trying to translate from the wine world to the beer world is not straightforward. We share a lot of the same terminology, but it means different things sometimes. So basically, what we ended up, which is this detailed in the TQ is that uh, we use the endozyme beta split enzyme as a at the end almost close to final gravity because it wasn't inhibited by high by high glucose levels and also because it's typically used in maturation in wines and then we used for the thiol release we used it 24 hours after yeast pitch because normally in the wine world they use it quite late, but the reason for using it quite late is because it's also inhibited by high levels of glucose. So basically, they have a lot of glucose to get through, but we don't have that much glucose to get through in beer, so in in wort. So basically, what we wanted to do was try to maximize the contact time of the enzyme with the wort. So basically, at 24 hours after, we said, okay, we're we're still going to have sugars, we're still going to have fermentation, obviously, but all the glucose, the simple sugars are going to be done fermenting. So we added it there. Obviously, you ran these trials across, uh, I think you said, three batches of uh, Dos Dingos uh, Aussie IPA. Um, Listeners can find that recipe in your TQ article. You obviously brewed a control batch. Is there any more um, specific details you want to give us uh, regarding the two trial batches, um, timing or or, anything else uh, that you want to mention? Or do you feel like you've got that pretty, pretty well covered? Well, I don't know, Mati, if you're going to go, want to go a little bit through the recipe as it's your brainchild. No, no worries. So it's, it's, um, posted in the, in, in, in the TQ. So I, there's no worries about speaking about the recipe at all. But, uh, yeah, as Leon said, um, we, we basically did, did the, our standard stock standard recipe for our Aussie IPA in three different batches because we don't have smaller fermenters to, I mean, ideally, we would have uh, had the same batch and split into three little fermenters, but we don't have the 
um, the little fermenters to do that to split it to split a batch. Uh, so we did three batches, one after the other. Um, one of the things that we had to change uh, from our original recipe was the we didn't add our yeast um, yeast nutrient uh, just in case because there was some we read about some uh, information saying that uh, potentially levels of zinc and uh, uh, and um, what was it, uh, Leon? What was the the other compound that uh, could inhibit uh, the the activity of the of the enzymes, DAP, yes, DAP. of DAP, yeah. Um, so, so due to that, we decided to the three batches not to add our what we normally do, which is uh, add nutrients uh, um, into our fermentations. But other than that, it's just the the our standard recipe that it's um, all posted in the in the technical quarterly. What we see all the time in a lot of the academic research is that it's really focused in trying to answer the question of whether there is a difference or there isn't a difference, but there's not that much of an interest in trying to analyze the change in the sensory aspect, which as brewers is kind of like what we're mostly interested in. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Brewer Supply Group is now the proud exclusive distributor of Dingman's Malt. BSG is thrilled to partner with the Dingman's family and to distribute their superior quality malts to brewers, distillers, and homebrewers in the U.S. and Canada. Dingman's Malt combines modern techniques with their long-standing focus on quality and service to their customers and remains 100% independent and family-owned. Go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more. And thank you also to Fermentus is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. From large and small breweries to home brewers, we've provided the beer industry with the best fermentation yeast since 2003. The yeasts are easy to use. Just pitch Fermentus yeast directly into your wort. No rehydration necessary. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation, visit Fermentus.com. As you might imagine, there still aren't any opportunities to gather in person for district meetings, but that doesn't slow us down. After all, Master Brewers, which was formed in 1887, has survived more than one pandemic. Spring and summer have brought us numerous webinars and virtual district meetings, many of which can be replayed on demand. Here are just a few of them. Creating a safe environment for brewery tours, June 9th. Compliance testing for state-level cannabis markets, June 23rd. The Connected Brewer, leveraging real-time fermentation monitoring to elevate product quality and operational efficiency, July 14th. You've heard me talking about the 2020 World Brewing Congress for several months now. As I've mentioned, it's my favorite industry conference. I've been looking forward to it since the 2016 WBC ended. 
Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we won't be able to gather in Minneapolis as planned. As much as that stinks, there is a pretty serious silver lining. WBC 2020 is going fully virtual, which means you can access the world's most cutting-edge research in brewing science and technology easily and affordably from the comfort of your own home. Registration for WBC Connect opens soon with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details or check the direct link in the show notes. The District Texas Annual Summer Meeting in Kerrville is August 7th through the 9th. The Master Brewers Brewery Systems Technology and Maintenance course begins September 13th in Madison. The District Northwest Fall Meeting is scheduled for October 9th and 10th. The Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course is October 25th through November 6th in Madison. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. The thiol enzyme, I believe you said, was added at uh, 24 hours after the yeast went in, and then the the other enzyme was added essentially a couple degrees Plato before terminal, right? Yeah, that's correct. So okay. the 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 beta slate split. Uh, so the glucoside. Um, um, enzyme, we added it at um, when, when we did the dry hop. Um, we did that because, uh, according to the supplier specification, uh, it's, it gets inhibited over five Play-Doh. So basically, we went uh, when we did the dry hop to avoid also uh, oxygenating um, um, the and oxidizing the the beer. Uh, we decided to do it at the same time as as we did the dry hop. And that way, we avoided uh, inc- introducing more oxygen into the beer. Um, so, yes, that addition was at under five Plato, um, and uh, and the other addition was only twenty four hour after the start of fermentation of the thiol enzyme, because that uh, enzyme is um, inhibited when there's glucose present, and by that time, uh, there's no more glucose in the wort. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so let's hear about the sensory analysis you did on these beers. So basically, the first step we did was we we didn't trust ourselves. <laughs> we didn't trust our own bias because we wanted the experiment so easily to work. We wanted especially the trial beer to be a very nice hop bomb and, and, and say, okay, cool, this really works. So we can start brewing a nice New England's IPA with a little bit less hops which with the economy down here makes total sense. We were so, so keen, we said, okay. really, so keen. <laughs> <laughs> we actually were uh, believing that uh, there was, uh, uh, that like, yes, this is more tropical. We wanted to be more tropical. And, that's <laughs> and yeah, we decided um, for better. Yeah, we said, okay, we need, we need to do a, a um, sensory panel with this. So since we didn't have access to a trained panel, Basically, what we did was we first wanted to know if the enzymes did have a significant activity. So basically, we looked into that and wanted to see that. So we set up uh, a triangle testing and we said, OK, let's try to pick people in the industry that even though they're not trained forcibly by us, 
we know that they're with their they taste beer often they're brewers they're bjcp judges so we kind of trust their training abilities so basically what we did was we gathered together a panel of 29 tasters the first thing we did was we ran two triangle taste uh, two triangle tests one for the one with glucosides, the other one for the one with thiols. We randomized samples. We used different numbering for the cups. We tried to give them give a random amount of one of the of the control for each test and did it two different ones, etc. We ran all that, trying to follow the best protocols we could. And what we found was that both of them came back significant. The style taste uh, triangle test came back with 16 out of 29, being able to tell the difference. And then the, but the glycosides one came back with 20 out of the 25. So here, here we had a few tasters less, but the result was truly, truly significant. And when we tasted the beers ourselves, we could tell a difference. So since we didn't have a trained panel, we said, okay, we need to see how we're going to go about trying to be able to obtain some results from the test. So it's some of the results on the sensory profile. And we knew we wanted this because what we see all the time in a lot of the academic research is that it's really focused in trying to answer the question of whether there is a difference or there isn't a difference. But there's not that much of an interest at least not in all papers, there are some labs that do that, in trying to analyze the change in the sensory aspect, which as brewers is kind of like what we're mostly interested in. So the first thing we did was we asked each taster what their preference was. And obviously we discarded the people who could not complete correctly the triangle taste. And we found that for both cases, the preference was for the non-enzymatic version. So for the um, tile one, we had 10 people preferring the normal, the control batch, four people preferring the one with enzyme, with a thiol enzyme, and two without a preference. And for the glucoside, which if you remember is the one that a lot of people could identify, we had 12 people preferring the normal and only seven preferring the one with the added enzyme. So this was the first result that really surprised us because it it was exactly the opposite of what we were hoping for at that time. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like the, the thiol experiment beer finished significantly drier than the others, um, and that may have brought it out of balance for tasters. Absolutely. So that uh, is one of the things that um, we actually called in, okay, next time we we try this enzyme, uh, we are going to have to um, modify um, some aspects of the process, either uh, increase um, the mash temperature or add maltodextrin or something to allow that final gravity to be um, a bit higher. So to give you an example, normally our, um, uh, so it basically came out uh, almost a plateau, 0.75 plateau, lower gravity than our uh, standard um, version. So it, it, that makes a difference. It made it actually the beer was drier uh, and uh, a lot of the tasters perceived that as uh, being uh, a lot more bitter. 
and out of balance. And that affected our, as well the, the, the perception of the beer, right? And both trial beers essentially resulted in traditional IPA flavor profiles rather than the tropical fruity IPAs that you were going for. Talk a little bit more about that. Yes, the both beers we we expected to for them to be, and that was basically the the main thing we tried to do to uh, when we started this experiment. Can we make them hop bombs? And by hop bombs, we meant tropical stone fruit uh, increase in the in the flavor perception of the beers. Uh, and actually, it was the exact opposite, right? When we when we saw when we we asked the the tasting panel to to rate the sort of the variation or to rate all three beers uh in terms of uh all different uh flavor uh and aroma um uh, categories like citrusy resinous herbal woody and earthy tropical fruit stone fruit berries floral spicy garlic onion etc um and we measured the var- the average variations of on on each category on each flavor profile um in both beers, uh, uh, in both um, in yes, in both tile and beta glucoside um, uh, enzyme beers, we found out that uh, our tasting panel rated a decrease in tropical, both in aroma and in flavor, a decrease in stone fruit, in both in aroma and flavor uh, for the beta glucoside, a decrease in the thiol for stone fruit in in flavor but an increase in stone fruit for the aroma for the thiol enzyme having said that all the other typical west coast ipa um characters were increased there was they were beers that were more resinous uh than um than than the original sample they the they were a bit more woody uh and uh and even they had an increase in that uh, sort of uh onion and garlic uh and grass and hay uh descriptors so uh yes we ended up with profiles more similar to west coast ipa rather than uh newer tropical um style ipas all right leandro did you want to add anything else to that or no I mean, the only thing that we found kind of like uh, also interesting was that the the thiol one, you had the citrusy and the stone fruit coming up in aroma and going down in flavor. So that that was kind of interesting. We're still it was one of the things that made us wonder a little bit how how come that happened, that difference between aroma and taste. And maybe this has to do with what we're saying of the beer being a little bit out of balance. So in the mouth, you get a different perception. But as Matthias was saying, it's clear that the profile shifted towards a more traditional resinous West Coast IPA. In fact, for me, the thiol beer, I preferred it to the control. So I guess I'm still uh, <laughs> I still prefer all the old school IPAs. Have these results changed your approach to brewing IPA? Oh, I think so. At least for us, um, we have. Um, stopped. So we, originally, we we used to do a couple of um, so for the East Australian IPA, two different um, um, hop uh, additions. One for biotransformation and uh, sort of at high krausen, and the other one at the end of um, 
fermentation when the last final points. Um, and now we are doing all all the additions at 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 the end, really. What do you want to try next? Well, one of the things we have in mind is trying to, as I was saying before, trying to look look at ways to mitigate this new harshness or lower drinkability that we saw with some of the Thiles beers. So trying to brew, we want to brew a beer, not maybe as an experiment, but try to see if we can lower the whole dosages, try to see how this behaves, like trying to, to see if this was a matter of having a lot of thiols already in the beer and breaking out and releasing even more and that's throwing the balance off. So trying a small batch of a beer without, with more traditional hops, like more of the sea hops, try to see the, how the thiol enzyme behaves there and already taking into account this difference in final gravity that we're going to have to see if we can balance the beer better and if that has an impact, a, a positive impact to try to see kind of like the other side of the coin. We, we looked at this from the perspective of, okay, we have these hops that already are quite tropical and these are shifting to a place where it's not exactly where we wanted. Maybe if we start with hops that are not tropical, we can bring them more towards tropical or they go more towards herbal in the same way and trying to understand this because if that's the case, if the second scenario is the case, well, maybe using enzymes is not a way of doing a tropical hop bomb, but it might be a way of doing a West Coast IPA with lower quantities of hops, which is still interesting in itself. That was Matty Cavana and Leandro Miners here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you want to learn more about these trials, just type biotransformation into the industry's best search bar at mbaa.com or check the show notes for a direct link to the TQ paper. And if you understand Spanish, here's how you can find the Biotechnia podcast. Bueno, a todos los que estén interesados en escuchar nuestro podcast Biotechnia, pueden seguirnos en las redes @biotechnia. Hoy eh, escucharnos en Spotify, en Apple Podcast, como nos buscan como Birra Tecnia y ahí estamos, ahí tenemos varios episodios sobre ciencia y técnica cervecera. You've heard me talking about the 2020 World Brewing Congress for several months now. As I've mentioned, it's my favorite industry conference. I've been looking forward to it since the 2016 WBC ended. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we won't be able to gather in Minneapolis as planned. As much as that stinks, there is a pretty serious silver lining. WBC 2020 is going fully virtual, which means you can access the world's most cutting-edge research in brewing science and technology easily and affordably from the comfort of your own home. Registration for WBC Connect opens soon with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details or check the direct link in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Fermentis. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Yeah.